And we'll just go that route. And I might get stuck on some words, and you'll have to smack me around a little bit. But first we have to do our opening monologue before we jump into all this crap. Uh, literally meaning double goer. The real double. Real double. Double double. Wow. God. This is going to suck. Tough, isn't it? This is going to suck. Rethink <laughs> this. Oh, man. We were going to copper dobber burgers tonight, but we're going to not do that. <laughs> what is he saying? Copper knocker burgers. We are the wretched refuse. We're the underdogs. We're mutts. We're mutants. There's something wrong with us. Something very, very wrong with us. Something seriously wrong with us. Wow, that ding was really damn loud this time. If everybody's wondering right now, hurt. <laughs> it was so After loud your eyes. Dude, I want to take my eyes out now. <laughs> if anybody's wow. wondering, when we when we start recording the show, I use a program called Amalto, and it gives you this chime to let you know that yes, you are in fact recording now. And clever-eared people will sometimes hear little bits and pieces of that in the show's editing because sometimes I I'm not able to completely edit it out. And for whatever reason, it was really, really loud that time, or my microphone's turned up. Either way, uh, yeah, no show last week, because I was down in Columbus with Chuck at a big motorcycle expo, and we went to uh, back to Point Pleasant uh, a week after the Point Pleasant Mothman Festival, because I didn't want to go down there during the festival, because it was so crazy from the previous time that I went there. And then this time, I was actually able to get cell phone signal, and I was able to actually like post video and stuff. So we went through the Mothman Museum, and um, I got a bottle of Mothman wine. And uh, You didn't answer my question about that. About what? The Mothman wine. I haven't drank it yet. What was the question? Is it made know. of real Mothman? No, it is not. It is made that of... That sucks. What is this? It is a uh, Mary Family Winery Limited Table Wine, 12% alcohol by volume, contains sulfates. It's got some cool artwork on it. Um then on the back, it's got the typical Mothman legend, I believe, and a little bit of story about uh, the winery and stuff. I just got it, you know, for giggles. They uh, they did have a Mothman beer, but they didn't have it in stock. That was all sold out over the show. But the museum was actually kind of cool. I went on Facebook, and I just, like, Facebook lived us walking through this, you know, one-room museum that had, uh, it had notes, the original notes that John Keel took, writing the Mothman prophecies. It had a whole bunch of Richard Gere props. You know, yeah, the jacket, gerbils? the phone, no gerbils. I did comment while I was filming the video <laughs> that after it's because it says actual phone used by Richard Gere in the making of the Mothman prophecies. And I went after he was done with it. He then went and inserted a gerbil. Um, but it had but all just, that stuff there. And uh, that's an urban legend, by the way. Yeah. And I was also they were talking <laughs> about another podcast I listened to. It had so, they said something that um, who was it that Sylvester Stallone was the one that dropped him off at the hospital. <laughs> so the, the legend goes even further, sure. but it, it was a neat little museum, you know, and then you walked into the front and they had all the, anything Mothman, what there was for sale, all kinds of t-shirts and cups and posters and all kinds of neat stuff. And then uh, when I was down there last year with the wife, we weren't able to go out to the actual site of where the quote-unquote Mothman sighting, the very first one occurred with the two couples that were out, you know, looking for a place to bump uglies in the backwoods. Nice. And, um, yeah, we'll put it that way. Oof. So um, we asked the guy how to get there, and he told us. And we get out there, and we park the car, 
And uh, he's like, you drive down this road, and it's the seventh inlet in, and then, you know, you just walk down this road. It wasn't what I was expecting at all, and Chuck had no idea what to expect. Because um, you see all the pictures of, like, anything really to Mothman, they've got, like, the pictures of what's left of the TNT factory and stuff in the background. When we got there, it was just these really long roads, and there was these um, half-dome bunkers. Anybody who doesn't follow us on Facebook, there's these half-dome bunkers that are concrete bunkers that are buried underground. And they're really they're still in really good condition. Like, we walked down the trail, and these two guys come walking out of this, like, thing off the side. I'm like, so is this the place? And the guy was like, the place for what? I'm like, for the Mothman stuff. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're here now. And if you walk down this road down there, there's more bunkers. And you go down further, there's one collapse, and it's off limits. And you guys can't go any further than that. So me and Chuck and Unison look at each other, and we're like, well, that's where we're going. So <laughs> you're not the boss to me. <laughs> off we went. And um, you go inside of these half-dome TNT bunkers because the place was a munitions factory in World War II. And I was surprised at how good a condition these things are still in. Like the doors still open and close on and the steel doors open and close. And you walk into these things and there's this massive echo. So I went into one of them and just turned on my phone and just did this like weird howl or whatever the hell you want to call it. And just recorded the reverberation of this thing bouncing around. And Chuck's outside going, wow, that sounded really creepy. It carried out pretty well. <laughs> so we walked around it, but we didn't. We went down this long road, and we saw you know bunker after bunker after bunker, and one of them had a roof collapse, but it was weird. It looked like something out of Star Wars. And that was pretty much it. Then we walked back to the car, and you know, we drove out of there. So a couple of days ago, I was like, well, I wonder what this place looks like from the air, because me and Chuck were talking about, well, where's all these collapsed buildings and what's left over? We never found any of that stuff. Um, another thing is when you get to the spot, somebody spray painted exactly. It just says the word exactly on the ground right it's down the road. Right? Yeah. It's, <laughs> I'm not, like, it's not Z? Z. No. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, you know how you know we're here? And he says, because we're here. And I went, exactly. And I pointed down. But I, I got on Google Maps and I zoomed in on the map to see. And there was a spot down this path we were walking where there was like this concrete like drainage reservoir where there's two ponds there. So if one pond overfills, it kind of drains into another one and it drains across the road. And we were like, wow, that's weird. Is this a slab of concrete here? Well, when you get at it, when you get go on Google Earth and you zoom in on that spot, it looks like there's a face of an old man like yelling at somebody. It's just the way that it looks from overhead. It was really like bizarre. It wasn't paranormal bizarre. It was just kind of funny bizarre. But um. Yeah, there's all these people like, oh, yeah, it's a real creepy place when you get out there. And we didn't think it was creepy at all. Now, at nighttime, that would probably be a completely different story. Those bunkers would be scary as hell at night and uh, just because the echo in them and stuff. But there's a lot of people that go out there to party and everything, from what I understand. And you can see, like, the first couple of bunkers, like, busted beer bottles, spray paint everywhere. And the further down the road you go, down that path you go, the less and less the bunkers are spray painted on the inside and the more they're left alone. And the last story about all this, the one bunker we go into, we walk up to it and we open up the door and I see this thing hanging there and it looks like it, it, it was red. It was a red, um, one of those little things you put on your keychain that mountain climbers use. I can't remember what the heck they're called. They're like, little, they're clasps, whatever. And I look in there and I see this thing and it's red and it was all dark. And I'm like, what the hell is that? That looks like it looked like it looked like a glowing hot, like red hot thing. Like somebody took a blowtorch to metal and let it glow really hot. And we're like, I don't know. So we were walking into there and then we see this thing. What it was, it was one of those car carbon or carboys or carbonized or whatever the hell they are. And Carabiner. There was this, Carabiner, that's what it was. Carbonized, carbonized. Yeah. 
Caramel. 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 Yeah, caramel. So the carabiner, and below that, there's this thing that looks like a paper mache wasp nest, but it wasn't a wasp nest. And it's hanging from a cord right through the middle of this place. And me and Chuck are like, what is that? And I began to realize that it wasn't something glowing red hot. It was just the carabiner that was painted red, reflecting the light, making it look like it was glowing. And I'm like, we're like, what the hell is that? And then Chuck's like, got his phone out. He's looking at it. And finally, I'm like, you touch it. So he touches it. And then he lifts it up and he goes, oh, there's something inside of here. And he flips it back. And it was a geocache. And we're like, oh, yeah, it was pretty. It was weird, though, just hanging in the middle of nowhere inside this place. And we're like, what the hell is it? We're like walking up and looking at it like you touch it. I don't want to touch it. It's probably full of zombie bees or something, you know. But, you know, that was it. And then we, you know, we, uh, you know, we drove back and went down to the road and took a look around there and stuff. And, you know, it was just cool to go back into that town again when there wasn't like a million people there and the Internet actually worked and the phone actually worked. So there was a uh, Scooby-Doo mystery machine parked in front of the hotel there where uh, John Keel wrote the Mothman prophecies. Mm-hmm. Of course, the Harrison Steakhouse, where the actual location where he did a lot of his writing in the restaurant, that was gone. That that was out of business because she passed away last year when we had Seth Breedlove on the show talking about mm-hmm. it. They took the inside of that restaurant and put it into the back of the Mothman Museum, and they made a little room out of it. And you walk in there, and it's got her restaurant on one side, and then there's the movie in the background that tells the story of the Mothman prophecies, and mm-hmm. Lauren Coleman and all the witnesses are in it. It's really old. I'm like, wow, these, you know, these, almost all of these people, I think, are dead now. And Lauren Coleman looked a lot younger, and it was just, just kind of odd, but it was cool at the same time. So that was pretty much it. That was, it was just neat to go to the actual location, you know, yet another spot to go to. I can check off my list of places that I've visited in the paranormal scope of things. But cool. moving on, this week, um, you did a lot of the show work, and I did some of it. I got to give credit to a guy that I work with named Alex. Um, the show that you wanted to do this week was uh, Cases of Mistaken Identity. And I told that to a guy at work, and he's like, why don't you do doppelgangers too? And I'm like, all right, that'll work. And then the question came up of how much do we want to go into doppelgangers because it's kind of a complicated thing. So. We're just going to keep it simple now because if things go as planned, we've got someone coming on in a couple of weeks, and I think we're going to round around and talk about it again in a different kind of way. So we're going to start with, um, well, you know what, let's mix this up a little bit. I was going to do the Apple story first, but let's do what a doppelganger actually is. We'll rearrange the stories. Mm. We will go to listverse.com, listverse.com, and we will discuss... 10 Disturbing Tales of Doppelgangers. Um, I'm going to read the first one, and I'll read the Wolfgang von, how was his last name pronounced? Goethe? Goethe. Goethe, that's right. You were looking it up while I was looking up a rather questionable article that we won't discuss on the air. (laughs) No. (laughs) Maybe at the outtakes after the end of the show. God, (laughs) my eyes. (laughs) So, uh, 10 Disturbing Tales of Doppelgangers. According to legend, doppelgangers, a German word for double walker, are paranormal duplicates of real persons. Uh, They can manifest in a number of ways. You can see them out of the corner of your eye, meet them on a lonely road somewhere, or chillingly see them standing behind you when you are looking into a mirror. Sometimes a doppelganger can't be seen by a person at all, but instead manifests to other people in a completely different location. They may even cooperate with the person, help them 
with tasks or act as a surrogate body of sorts. That would be that kind of weird. Who cleaned the house? Oh, I cleaned the house and I cleaned the house. Um, <laughs> there are many explanations for doppelgangers phenomena. Mystics thought throughout the ages have believed that they are supernatural creatures, either spiritual copies of the person or downright demonic twins. Now, this is where we might loop back on this topic pretty soon in another episode with another uh-huh. guest. So we're not going to go too deeply into doppelgangers. Meanwhile, scientists say that they're just electrical glitches in the brain or mental illness such as schizophrenia. Sure, only two things are certain about these eerie apparitions. They are often bad news, and surprisingly, a number of significant historical figures have claimed to be haunted by them. Now, as I was saying before we started recording, if I were to run into a doppelganger of myself, I doubt I would recognize it unless they were wearing the exact same clothes or something as I do. Like, hey, nice. Oh, wait a minute. What? Do you, oh, wow. You know, then I might, then I might recognize. A doppelganger, because the only time you're used to seeing yourself is when you look in the mirror for whatever reason, and then promptly you forget about it because the mm-hmm. chances of you running into yourself somewhere are kind of, you know, not whatever, you know. So I'm going to start with number 10 and go with Yo- Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Goethe? Goethe? Goethe. 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 Not Goethe. Go. Goethe? Yes. <laughs> Uh, 1749 to 1832 was a famous German writer, poet, and politician, a celebrated author who played a large part in the shaping of the field of literature. His words were widely read and respected. One day, a desperate Goth- Gothier. How the how do you say that? You've say already Goth. Goth. Is that how it's pronounced? Yes. Okay. One day, depressed Goth was writing. Now it sounds weird. Was riding on a footpath after leaving a girl named Frederica. Suddenly, he faced a mysterious person riding toward him. The person who Gothier Goth. Said, Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Gothro, God damn it! It's Goth. See, it's see, it's Goethe. It's not Goth. Goethe. 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 Okay, whatever. The G-Man. Just call him the G-Man. Who Goatee said (laughs) saw his mind's eye instead of his actual eyes was clearly Gota himself, although he was wearing different clothes. The figure soon disappeared, and Gota, who found its appearance strangely soothing, yeah, I I would be really soothed by seeing myself riding past me wearing different clothes, soon forgot all about it. Then again, I might be like, hey, who is that handsome man wearing those nice clothes? Anyways... Eight years later, he found himself riding down the same footpath in the opposite direction, see Frederica again. That's when he realized he was wearing the exact same clothes as Doppelganger wore years ago. This was not the only Doppelganger Gothe saw. Another time, he saw his friends Frederick walking in the same on the same street wearing Gothe's own dressing gown. I'm never going to get the dude's name right. Puzzled, Gothe went home only to find Frederick there wearing the same gown Gothe had seen oh, in the apparition. His friends had been surprised by the rain and borrow been surprised by the rain and borrowed the gown as his clothes dried. God, that was a pain in the ass to read just because of that guy's name. Yeah, it was. Okay, you Number read nine. Catherine the Great. I gave you the easy Catherine, one. Catherine, powerful 18th century empress of Russia, was a powerful and dangerous figure. She was not phased by small matters such as seeing her own ghostly doppelganger take over her throne. That sounds terrible. It sounds like a vacation. Night, <laughs> Chevy Chase? One, it is said that one night Catherine was lying in her bed when worried servants told her there had been... She, but, they'd seen her enter the throne room. 
When Catherine set out to investigate, she found her doppelganger sitting calmly on the throne. Catherine immediately ordered her sentries to shoot at her ghostly counterpart. Oh, nice. The stories, the stories don't tell whether the bullets had any effect on the spectral empress. Mm-hmm. However, Catherine herself died soon afterwards. Oh, no. So what happened to the chick sitting on the throne then? It's Did she mystery. die or... What there's a, no record. Didn't you hear me say there's yeah, no record? Yeah, what a dumb story. You want to hear what happened to it, though. Yeah, well. I have to research that even further. That was a stupid story. What's what's the moral of the story? There is know. no moral. I just like that story. <sighs> okay, Uncle Rick. Uh, <laughs> Percy Shelley. Tried to pronounce his middle name. What Did you no. ever have his middle name no. was pronounced? No, just okay. Just going to say along. Percy Shelley. There's nothing to see here. Because I don't want to, like... Uh, take off our more astute um, reader guess. Percy Shelley what? was a brilliant, whatever. <laughs> Percy Shelley was a brilliant poet on his own right, although he mainly remembered his husband of, he's mainly remembered as the husband of Mary Shelley. That yes, would change the, the story altogether. <laughs> yes, that's right, the author of Frankenstein, who, as we said earlier, isn't really known for any of our other stories, which are actually pretty good. Although one would assume that Mary, the horror writer, would have been the one to have seen ghosts and monsters. It was, in fact, Percy who witnessed the doppelgangers, who I still did not read that sentence properly, but I'm not going to go back and read it again. (laughs) Shortly before Percy drowned in a sailing incident of 1812, he confessed to Mary that he had met his doppelganger many times. These confrontations, including one particular hunting experience where he walked into a terrace only to be greeted by his doppelganger, who asked him, how long do you mean to be content? What kind of a question is that? question. I, I aim to be depressed soon. How long do you intend to be happy? I, I <laughs> Of all the questions to ask yourself. Uh, strangely, Percy's doppelganger also witnessed by her close friend Jane Williams, who saw it passing her window in a route frequently walked by the real Percy to a dead end, but never returning. The real Percy is nowhere near. Good. Uh, well, he died. Yes, he's dead. Oh, go hey, for it. Sir Frederick Carn Rash. Tell me I said it wrong. I can't pronounce anything, so how would I be able to tell you that? Go ahead. 1906 British Parliament member Sir Gilbert Parker. Their names were lame back then. What's your name, sir? Gilbert Parker. Was attended to debate when he spotted Sir Frederick Carnrash, a fellow Parliament member, sitting nearby. This greatly surprised Sir Gilbert, as Sir Frederick was severely ill with influenza at the time. Didn't have flu shots then. Still, he politely greeted Sir Frederick and told him... I hope you are feeling better. Carnrash didn't react in any way. He just sat there with a stony, grim expression to his face because he was already dead. When Sir Gilbert soon glanced at his friend again, the seat was completely empty. Bewildered, he searched for Carnrash in the lobby, only to find that no one had seen him pass by. When he discussed this event with fellow parliamentarians, it turned out the others had seen Carnrash too. I could not have read that word. Parliamentarians. Wow. Sorry. It's okay, go ahead. When the real Carn Rash, I want to say corned beef hash. I know, me too. He had been sick and fed all along, found out about the incident. He was quite unsurprised. He had really wanted to take part in the debate, too. To him, it made sense for his spirit had sneaked a peek. That's stupid. His family, however, was terrified and feared the (laughs) doppelganger was a bad sign. In a small way, I want to be somewhere where it's going to be completely boring all day. Let me take my disembodied form to where it is so I could bore myself to death. In a small way, they were right. For quite some time, Karn Rash was annoyed by fellow parliament members who kept poking him with their fingers to make sure he was flesh and blood. I'd have whipped him soundly with my cane. 
In the end, he had to write a massively sarcastic letter to a local newspaper apologizing, apologizing that he didn't have the good sense to die at the time of the doppelganger sighting and promising to behave better next time. So all these people were walking up to him, poking him while he was Just at this Make sure scene. he was real. How annoying. Oh, dude, I'm telling you, I would have whipped him soundly. Poke me again, good sir. Uh, now we move on to another queen, Queen Elizabeth I. Queen Elizabeth I of England, who reigned from eight, uh, from 1558 to 1603, not 1858, as I was just about to say, mm-hmm. was the last Tudor to rule the country. Her show also had a lot of sex on it, which was on Showtime, I believe. Widely recognized as a charismatic, level-headed, and savvy monarch, she was the kind of person one wouldn't expect to dabble with the paranormal, which makes it all the more scary when she claims she had witnessed her doppelganger. According to the Queen, the Spectral Elizabeth was lying motionless in her bed, almost like a corpse light out for presentation. Again, this is something we're going to circle back to later on in another episode. The experience was particularly haunting because such appearances are said to be a certain sign of death. Still, it would be easy to put this down as temporary glitch in the mind of an elderly, stressed-out ruler. (laughs) I've been pretty stressed out, but I've never seen myself lying dead in my own bed. Mm. Um, If it wasn't... If it wasn't for the fact that Elizabeth died soon after seeing her doppelganger. Mm. Oh, go for it. Maria de Jesus de Agrida. Oh, Jesus. Bite me. Actually, it does say Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. Although doppelgangers are generally perceived as sinister, it is said that sometimes a person is not only able to control them, but use them as a sort of second Sex slave. Yes. No! (laughs) A nun? Wow. Go ahead. That can bio... No, bilocate. I thought it was biolocate. Okay, bilocate to their places in an instant. Teleportation. In the 17th century, explorers and missionaries in the New World were astonished to find that many of the tribes in New Mexico... I remember reading this. Were already merrily practicing Catholicism. When questioned, the tribesmen said they had been converted by a mysterious lady in blue who had taught them and even given them a number of crucifixes and other items of worship. With careful detective work, a few priests finally traced the phenomena to Maria de Agrida, a young, blue-robed Spanish nun. She claimed to have taught Christianity to the Indians by bilocating across the ocean. Mary had never left her convent and only knew the place, places, no, the place she had been as a savage land. Wow. But her story was enough to convince the priests. Initially, the Inquisition was extremely suspicious of Maria, but they decided to acquit her of witchcraft charges. Of course, because she had a crucifix. Possibly because her story was too good to waste. There you go. Her Mm. power was declared to be divine origin. Mm -hmm. Doesn't work for the old scratch. She became an international celebrity, the leader of her convent, and the author of rambling books on how she acquired her powers. However, later in life, she changed her story multiple times, which means of course. she was lying. Sometimes she claimed that she had, was pressured into saying she could habitually cast her spiritual copy to another continent. Sometimes she said it was true after all. Meh, lies. Number four, Abraham Lincoln. Wow, this is kind of a lengthy one. Let's see if I can make it through. <laughs> This is funny because we have a truck driver at my work also that now listens to the show and he was just complimenting on how well of a podcast we put on and how well of interviews we do and such like that. So you said, here, hold my beer. (laughs) Well, sir, we literally put this show together two minutes before I hit the record button. So here we go. (laughs) I'm going to see him at work and he's going to be like, you asshole. Um, (laughs) 
Abraham Lincoln was known as Honest Abe, and as such was very open about his interest in the paranormal, at least in private discussions. According to the man himself, he also experienced some paranormal activity. On the night of his first election, he took a moment to rest on his couch one evening. While lying there, he happened to glance in a mirror and saw his own his own visage. Well, of course, you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to see yourself. Except there he had two faces. Well, okay. Uh, a second Lincoln, pale and ghostly, was looking at him from the mirror right next to his own face. Startled, he rose from the couch, and the doppelganger disappeared. He sat back down only to see it again. Um, maybe he likes his chair. Uh, Lincoln was startled by his wife, Mary, who uh, was downright terrified. She was also somewhat of a bitch, from what I understand. And crazy. She, yes, exactly. She was convinced that the doppelganger was bad news, a sign that Lincoln would be reelected on a second term, possibly because two Lincolns, two Lincolns equals two terms, but wouldn't survive it because the second Lincoln looked pretty deathly. Uh, Lincoln went... What was that? Too soon? <laughs> what was that? Did he have a hole in his head? Ooh. Oh, man. Uh, Lincoln went on to repeat the couch experiment every once in a while. He did manage to glimpse the doppelganger one more time, but after that, it stopped appearing. <laughs> Dude, he's got other things to do. Mm. Maybe it had uh, delivered the, its message as Lincoln indeed didn't make it through his second term. Or, you know, maybe because just fixed the mirror. Mm. Those old mirrors are weird. The mercury pores? Mm-hmm. So, maybe. George Tryon. Mm. June 22nd. Hey, that's the day I got clean. 1893. Not that long ago. Was not a good was not a good day for Vice Admiral George Tryon. He was commanding two columns of ships off the coast of Syria. When he gave the command for the columns to turn toward each other. Wow. This is <laughs> this attempt at a majestic naval drill maneuver turned out to be an amateur mistake. As the first ship promptly ran into each other and one uh, it says rammed into each other and one of them. Yep. And one of them, the one tyrant. Oh, the one. Okay. The one, the one that Tryon happened to be in sank like a stone. Tryon died knowing that he had just doomed 357 men to drown. His last words were fittingly and heartbreakingly, it's entirely my fault. Yeah, dude, you screwed it up. At the exact same time, Tryon's wife was holding a lavish party for their friends in her London in their London home. Suddenly, to the guest surprise, Tryon appeared at the party. Silently, he walked down the staircase, solemnly proceeded through the drawing room, and opened the door as if it, as if to leave. But su- he suddenly disappeared. He was dressed in full uniform, as if he was commanding a drill. There are some holes in the story. For instance, some say Lady Tryon was busy with the guests and never saw this doppelganger, while others claimed she was the one, she was one of the onlookers. Still, a tale bears eerie resemblance to the old sea tales of the sailor's fetch. There you go. Another name for a spirit doppelganger, alerting his family upon his death. Mm, ah. Foreshadowing right there, folks. Oh, no. No, you're going to... What, what, Guy Day... De... No, it's Guy de Maupassant. Sure. Okay. On, dude. He was one of Love's. You know what? I could guide them all. Upon God, no, wow. Guy de, de Maupassant. Do oh you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? What's the last name? Maupassant. Oh my! Just read it. Killing <laughs> <laughs> me. Uh, French writer Guy de Maupassant uh, oh is God, known <laughs> <laughs> is known for what is perhaps the most intimate doppel intimate ooh intimate doppelganger experience on record. What was that meme floating around? It's okay to have sex with your doppelganger if you destroy it afterwards or something like that. 
Yes. Okay. That was what it was posted, wasn't it? Okay. Toward the end of his life, it is said that he regularly interacted with his doppelganger. This eerie twin not only talked to him, but actually sat down and started dictated and it's wait a minute. That's written wrong. This eerie twin not only talked to him, but actually sat down and started dictating. There it goes. A short story to him. Yes, the Mossasapapont claimed that. Well, I can't say the damn word. Claimed that one of his stories, one of his last stories, was literally ghostwritten by his own ghost, no less. Uh, okay. If that's not chilling enough, don't worry. It gets even better. The story, the spirit allegedly dictated to the Mossasapapont. God. The Horla. <laughs> yeah, dude, the Horla. You've never read the Horla? I have not read the Horla. An unnerving tale of a man whose sanity is slowly consumed by evil spirit that uses him as a host. Gee, that sounds pretty similar, as if echoing the story of D. Mossapompons. Mental health started deteriorating soon after finishing. I wonder why we don't have more listeners right there. This guy's an idiot. In another version of the events, the doppelganger did not dictate the book as it disappeared. Did not dictate the book as it disappeared when the terrified D. Mossapompons called his servant. However, the apparition returned a few moments later. It entered the writer's room, looking at him in a, with a sad expression. Then it, sat, <clears throat> then it sat down and buried its face in its hands as if in despair. It was called a face palm. thank you. Convinced that the doppelganger yeah. brought news of disaster, the horrified Dimapasapasanamanapomps, life was downhill from yeah. there. He died in an insane asylum a year later. So, if it were me, I would say the guy was probably nuts and hallucinating at that point but hey whatever sure drink a lot of laudanum oh, that'll do it Amelie Amelie sure Emily. there's no A there I couldn't pronounce the last name either you called him Moppy Sons okay Mossy Pants you speak in English <laughs> wow it's a story Emily I'm gonna just call her Emily Emily Segui, that might actually be what that is, never saw her doppelganger. Everyone else did, though. Segui, oh, I've read about her before. Okay, I know, yeah. <laughs> Segui worked in exclusive girls' school. She was a very good teacher, but for some reason she kept moving from one job to another. In 16 years, she had changed positions an impressive 19 times. In 1845, the school found out why. Segui was allegedly the center of some very strange doppelganger activity. Her spectral twin was first seen during a class as 13 students witnessed a doppelganger standing by Sagi's side and mirroring her movements. Next, it stood behind her as she ate, pantomiming her movements. Sagi herself was completely oblivious to the apparition, despite the fact that everyone else could see it clearly. However, she did become strangely groggy and powerless during the times the doppelganger manifested, and the wraith was often seen go doing things Sagi later said she had been thinking about at the moment, suggesting that she may have been may had some subliminal control over it. Soon, the doppelganger ventured beyond Sagi's immediate vicinity. At first, it appeared to a classroom full of students sitting calmly in the teacher's chair, while Sagi herself was outside working in the garden. A few people who dared. To approach the doppelganger, found they could pass through it, yet it was it had a texture that reminded them of thick fabric. Time went by, and the apparition became a permanent fixture in the school's life, freaking huh. people out on a regular basis. The girls' concerned parents started removing their children from the school. Although Sigi was a model employee on all non-paranormal accounts, the headmistress had no option but to fire her and her ghostly double. I remember reading about her. One of the podcasts that we listened to covered her. Huh. So, moving on, and pretty much putting a nail in this topic, we're going to go to the consumerists. And this 
really has very little to do with what we're talking about because, hey, as I said, we put the show together in two minutes, but it sort of does. Kind of. Apple admits that Face ID may be fooled by evil twins and little kids. Uh, when Apple introduced the iPhone X's new Face ID feature, which scans a user's face to unlock the phone, the company said it had considered the evil twin scenario. They've got a picture of good Spock and evil Spock evil with the cool Spock. goatee. Did have a cool goatee. I liked evil Spock far yes. better. Do you remember when South Park did the Cartman evil evil Cartman good Cartman and uh, evil Cartman was actually the first year? They actually like. The evil Cartman was actually the really cool Cartman because he wasn't an asshole. And, and like Cartman, yeah, Cartman was like evil, and then evil Cartman was actually cool Cartman. And he actually had the goatee, and everybody's like, Oh, we like you so much better, evil Cartman. He was like, Oh, thanks, guys, you're really cool. Anyways, yeah, um, cool. so uh, company said, Consider the evil twin scenario. It's now admitting that if you have a twin or an alternate reality doppelganger, there's the connection, folks. Remember, three minutes before we hit record. He or she could totally break into your phone. In its Face ID security guide, which has a PDF link to it, Apple notes that the probability of a random person successfully unlocking your phone is about 1 in 100,301 million, compared to versus 1 in 50,000 for Touch ID. I grossly over-exaggerated that first number. However, the likelihood of a false match is different for twins as well as siblings who may look like you. And in case there are kids out there running around with $1,000 phones, which there are, Ugh. you should be warned that false ID may provide false mm -hmm. matches for children under the age of 13 because Oops. of their distinct facial features may not have fully developed, Apple explains. So, hey, watch those dick pics. There nah. are two solutions. First, don't use Face ID, which I never would, and just lock your overpriced iPhone X with a passcode or buy a different phone that doesn't use such a problematic unlocking mechanism like an Android. But you said Samsung already has that Samsung on Samsung's had too. face recognition for years. When I pick my phone up, it notices I'm looking at it. It turns on. and I have It just no monitors phone. your eyes. Yeah, because mm -hmm. it sends out a signal from the camera to see if your eyes are open because yeah. your eyes bounce the beam back. Yeah, face recognition. That's not face recognition. That's just looking to see if the beam's bouncing back off of your eyes. Mm. It's not face recognition. It's not going, oh, Lobo is holding me now. I need to turn on. You think that's what uh, Apple's doing? Apple is actually scanning your face. Did you not? Mm. Did, have you not read how this works? Yeah, I've read how it works. I don't it's, buy it. It completely scans your face and yeah, it uses the points it. on. Well, I'm not either. That's why I'm not going to buy an iPhone. <laughs> but it, that's how it works. That's supposedly how it works. All right, we're going to take a break and then we're going to jump into the next segment. If you like motorcycles and you like comedy, perhaps you should try the Wheel Nerds podcast. Stop that. What, what are you doing? I'm doing my announcer voice. It's proven super effective. It's stupid. Nope. We're the Wheel Nerds. Shut up. We're the Wheel Nerds. We're a weekly-ish comedy motorcycle podcast where we talk about everything two wheels and a bunch of stuff that isn't. Give us a listen at wheelnerds.com, iTunes, or Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are sold. Ha, ha, ha. I'm going to stop doing this now. My throat hurts. We all have questions. What happens after we die? Is Bigfoot real? Is my government hiding aliens from us? We all have stories. We grew up in a haunted house. UFO went right over the mountain. Join experienced paranormal investigators, J.P. Doyle. They need to make this where there's a hole on the top for your penis. John Gonzalez. Same, but my ass is brown. And Roman Avia. Got some underage pictures of me. While we talk all things paranormal, with just a pinch of humor. Find our show 
The Just Paranormal Podcast on all major podcast outlets. And be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on all of our latest episodes. What if I were to tell you that the forms are not the facts? And what if I were to ask you the shape of water? Water is in a state of constant flow and flux, a paradox of weakness and strength. My name is Aaron David, and I am host of Charm the Water, a weekly podcast centering on the occult and mysticism based in Asheville, North Carolina. You can find us at charmthewater.com or iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, your favorite pod feeder. Come holler. Want to get in contact with the show or listen to back episodes? It's easy. Go to www.projectarchivist.com. On the right side of the page, you'll find links to our archives, as well as links on how to get onto our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. If you want to leave a voicemail for us, it's 734-681-0459. Yes, we do listen to all of them. Or if you want to talk to Lobo directly, you can call 203-212-9975. Yes, that will in fact put you in touch with his cell phone. If he's available, he will take your call and talk to you. If you're just looking to send us an email, you can do that at projectarchivist at gmail.com. Don't forget to look for us on iTunes under the podcast section, or you can stream us right to your phone with the Stitcher Android app for free. You want me to lead it off or you want you want to lead it off? Whatever. Alright, so moving along, this is the Lobo portion of the show. Again, it's going to suck. As if the first part didn't. Well, <laughs> Again, three minutes before to... the cord button was pressed. Remember that. Mm. We also had a debate over who actually recorded the version of Kiss first. Was it Tom Jones or was it Prince? And I won by proving that it was done by Prince. Two years before. That has nothing to do with anything that we're talking about. Yeah, Anyways. Absolutely nothing. It's not going to go into any of this. <laughs> uh, there will be outtakes at the end actually, of this. Actually, no. It does link in here. It do- How does Tom Jones... Later on. Okay. There's a, you'll find out. Hold on. Okay. All right. So, anyways, this is where you came up the week, and I said, I have no idea for a show. And you said, let's do cases of mistaken identity. So, what we've got here is from HowStuffWorks.com, which is another great podcast if you're interested in some really, of learning, you know, interested in learning really cool, interesting stuff. And we're just going to pull it right from them because they're a pretty reputable podcast. And, uh, some well-written stuff here. So you lead it off, and then I'll pick up from you. It's often said that we have a double somewhere in the world. It's haunting thought. In a sense, our identity is all we have. When it fails to form properly, we struggle psychologically. When it's stolen, we face fraudulent bills, ruined credit, and a years-long nightmare of red tape. And when it's mistaken, well, far worse outcomes might await. Perhaps that's why... In so many legends, the weird tales stretching back centuries encountering one doppelganger tends to be a bad uh, end badly. Thankfully, we live during the age of fingerprints, DNA, and CSI. In the post-9/11 world of ever more Orwellian identification requirements, and we've left cases of mistaken identity, identity easy for me to say, firmly in the past. Well, perhaps not. According to a 2012 report in the Denver Post, more than 500 people were wrongly imprisoned in Denver's jails over seven years, with some spending weeks incarcerated or pleading guilty to crimes they did not commit. Such stories continue... uh, Where did continue come from? Wow, that's not even in there. See, I'm rubbing off on you. Such stories... I hope there's an ointment for that. Such stories provide sobering reminders that a world run by bureaucrats contains at least... 
as much of Kafka as Orwell, and maybe a touch of Rod Serling as well. The people you are about to meet, no doubt, agree. And we're going to start off with number 10. Casino Royale craps out. And the guy looks like Woody Allen. Like, literally looks like Woody because Allen. Because they look identical. They really do. Uh, we begin with the lighthearted example of how mistaken identity can have unexpectedly expensive consequences, especially when it brings together a big mouth executive and a short-tempered performer. Comic, uh, comedic acting legend Peter Sellers had a reputation for being difficult to work with. Yeah, I've heard that before. He was also a talented mimic and a bit of a smart, a smart aleck. I thought smart aleck was one word. <laughs> so when uh, Leo Jaff chair of Columbia Pictures, mistook him for his Casino Royale co-star, Woody Allen, he decided to roll with it. Unfortunately, Jaff wanted to complain to Allen about Sellers, saying he wished they'd never signed him to the movie. Sellers became so incensed that he left the set and the country. Perhaps he was wow. especially upset. <laughs> Perhaps he was especially upset uh, because this wasn't the first time such a mistake was had occurred. It had happened often on the set of What's New Pussycat. There you go. There's oh, the link. Oh, God. There's the Tom Jones which, link. Which had especially irked Sellers, who at the time was the uh, at the height of his career while Alan was a rel- relative neophyte. The film never uh, recovered. In the end, Columbia finished it using a stand-ins while editors struggled to cobble together something unintelligible from existing footage. Today, the 1967 spy comedy is well-known in film circles as a legendary fiasco, but most agree there's plenty of blame to go around for the debacle, Sellers' triad notwithstanding. He does. He looks just <laughs> like the guy, though. Yeah, you've seen Peter Sellers before. Oh, yeah. He does yeah. look like Woody Allen. But I never he thought did. of him that way. Number nine, the assassin who stole my ID. Imagine checking with your favorite news sources only to discover that officials in Dubai are looking for you in a connection with a murder. And they're not seeking someone with your name or who vaguely matches your appearance. They want you specifically. You know this because they've published images of your passport, except it isn't quite right. That's not your picture or your signature or your date of birth, but the rest is spot on. Now imagine the murder in which you are being implicated is the assassination of Hamas chief Mohammed El... How is that said? Sure, whatever. (laughs) That was a situation... Because your Skype just cut out. That was a situation faced in 2010 by 26 Westerners living in Israel, including Australian citizen Nicole McCabe, who was six months pregnant at the time and probably needed all the sleep she was about to lose thinking about the death squads bent on payback. An intelligence expert told the Herald Sun of Victoria, Australia, that Israeli intelligence agency Mossad, which prefers to use real identities as covers for its agents, saw the large number of foreigners living in Israel as perfect source. It didn't matter that they'd never been to Dubai or that their passports had never been stolen because the information was lifted from government database. It remained beyond their control from the beginning. So these guys just took information from people that actually did exist and just used them as cover agents, used those names for yep. cover agents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So nice, yeah. Right? Total talk dick. about I did. That is, that is the epitome of identity theft right there. When another government just yeah. says, Oh, this person exists. We'll just use their name. Uh, Mm. At last report, the Australian government had offered little help to McCabe and her fellow Aussies beyond a new passport. They strongly advised her to take it. I would, too. The old one was likely mm. to land her on a waiting list everywhere she traveled. Next. Oh, that's like, wait, is the story, <laughs> the story over? is over. The two million Wests. 
Around the turn of the 20th century, criminals arrested in certain jurisdictions were put through a kind of anthropotropy. I read that wrong again. Anthropometry. English, motherfucker, do you speak it? Whatever. A series of facial skull and bodily measurements intended to serve as identification. Fingerprints hadn't yet caught on, and the versions of this procedure pioneered by French officer Alphonse Bertelinois, sure, considered state-of-the-art. So naturally, the good people of New York sent Will West to Leavenworth Prison. The record clerk followed the procedure. He took West's measurements and sorted through a piled identification cards until one name remained, William West. This was bad news for Will, who claimed never to have been a previous run-in with the New York police. There was his name, along with the set of identical Bertillon measurements. Why does it say Bertillon was and then Bertillon measurements? Whatever. Even the photograph on record was a spitting image, except it wasn't him. The William West on record was his near-physical twin. He was already in Leavenworth, serving a life sentence for murder. The discrepancy was soon resolved via fingerprints. And textbooks and speeches still cite the case as a classic example of the technique's usefulness. It's unclear what the consequences might have been for Will had the mistake not been caught. But at the very least, he likely would have received a harsher sentence for repeat offenses. You have... That had to suck. Nobody has any idea how many times we had to read that. (laughs) This will be number seven, the unfortunate Adolf Beck. Uh, current artists say that an, ide- an ideal person should be charming but easily forgotten. The man who traveled under the names John Smith and Lord Wilton D. What? Well, Willoughby? Willoughby? Sure, I'll say I'll say Willoughby. That'll work. In 1877 and 1896, the same man who convinced women to part with their jewelry in exchange for rubber checks was clearly a student of that school. Unfortunately for Adolf Beck, he bore a superficial resemblance to the man in question. By now, you see there, see where this is going, which nobody out there in internet land can see what the hell we're talking about. So just imagine two people that look alike but really don't look alike. I guess I don't know. They, they look, look similar. similar. I mean, they look—they could be related, but not identical. Tragically, the entire matter might have been cleared up had the court simply considered certain evidence, such as the fact that Beck was in Peru during the initial crime spree, <laughs> or somewhat more delicate detail that the original criminal, whose name was possibly Frederick Mayer, uh, was circumcised while Beck was not. Really? You're going <laughs> to... Whoa! Drop <laughs> that top. was kind of out of left field. Uh, wow. <laughs> that measurement was not among the Bertillian instruments. Instead, legal miscarriages multiplied into 15 convictions and seven years of penal servitude but not the same penal servitude as what we just described however the british courts had not finished with beck three years after his release the six-year-old man was convinced because was convicted yeah however the british courts had not finished with beck three years after his release the 60 year old man was convicted of more lord willoughby's crimes and faced with an additional four or five years in prison god this guy just cannot catch a break happily while beck was looked up for a second time the original crook, crook was caught in the act the crown eventually released beck and thanks to public outcry awarded him a sizable five thousand pounds in comp- compensation the case has since become a mainstay of british legal lore and a demonstration of the unreliability of witnesses' identification. At least 16 people positively identified Beck. So that's that. They're all lies. <laughs> so, I mean, come on. Whatever. Worst stork ever medical identity theft. 
Which would you rather have screwed up, your credit history or your medical history? No need to answer. Thanks to medical identity theft, in which people use stolen identities to have medical procedures or expensive surgeries, you can have both. Don't worry, and it sounds. The case of the Andori Satch, a mother of four, that's a I horrible think that's name. Sax. Oh, I maybe. Think that's Sachs. Yeah. But look at her yeah. first name Andori. Whatever. Mm-hmm. This woman hated by her family. <laughs> a mother of four in Salt Lake City, Utah, who ended up on the worst side, the wrong side of the law, when a hospital reported that a newborn child under her name tested positive for illegal drug. Illegal drugs. Problem was, it wasn't her newborn. That sucks. Oh, this must have been relatively recently. Uh, eventually, it emerged that a pregnant drug user had broken into Sack's car, stolen her ID, and had the baby under her name, leaving her with a $10,000 medical bill and a lot of explaining to do. Lucy, you got some explaining to do! Even after the truth came out and after social services had interrogated her children, Sax was not cleared until a DNA test proved the baby Jeez. wasn't hers. I'm pretty sure she would be able to tell if she fired a kid out of there. Her legal and financial troubles behind her, Sax now faces another problem. The thief might have provided different medical information to doctors, which would have been listed under Sax's name. However, Sax has a blood clotting disorder and could die if given the wrong type blood. Ooh. The hospital says they've addressed these issues, but Sachs can't be sure because privacy laws prevent her from showing her wow. the records. They can't show her the records of yeah, her records? That's what it sounds like. And also, I believe that they did the yeah, uh, the medical DNA was probably done for purposes of insurance and things like that for investigation of fraud. It wasn't, excuse me, it wasn't so much her saying, this isn't my baby. It's like, well, that's nice, but we need medical tests to prove this, you know, because lawyers and laws and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I could totally see that happening. It's not a matter of, which would suck because it's like you're already going through all this crap. Somebody's stolen your ID. They've had a kid under your name and all that stuff. And then you got to go through and go through all these extra DNA tests to prove it. Number five, bartender shaken by DNA mix-up. In 2003, British police arrested bartender Peter Hamkin on suspicion of murdering a woman in Italy the year before. Now, bartenders know a lot of tricks, but killing complete strangers in countries they've never visited is not among them. Was this another case of eyewitness accounts gone wrong? No, although officials said he matched the description of the assailant, this time the culprit was the uh, inassailable mainstay of crime procedurals DNA. I was almost unable to say unassailable. DNA data... Actually, I wasn't able to say it. I just kind of jumbled my way through it. Back to the article. DNA database matching actually compares only a section of subsites in the strand known as the LOCI loci. American labs use 13 loci, while the UK 10 is the magic number, and suspects need to match all of them. If that sounds a little scary, consider this, because countries don't always use the same areas as proposed pan-Europe database would require a mere six loci for the match. So that kind of sucks because, like in America, we've got that extra three just to give you that little bit more of clearance. In the UK, they go to 10. I'm sure somewhere in the world, they go to 11. This number once seemed like plenty. Experts place the chance of a false match among unrelated people in one 113 billion. I said that number properly. But in 2008, Arizona Mm. State Crime Lab analyst Catherine Troyer, I almost said Tyler Kochan because of Arizona. I don't know why I did that. We read a Troy earlier today. Dozens of such matches when using the nine loci standard comment at the time, which suggests that the subject might benefit from some reconsideration. It also sent lawyers nationwide in a genetic phishing expedition. 
uh, see Fetch and Dolan. Oh, Filch and Dolan. Luckily for Hamkin, his initial match was not at the end of the story. After a more detailed DNA comparison, he was exonerated and released, having spent 20 days in jail. What terrifying 20 days in jail that must have been. Boo. That must have been horrible. I mean, he literally wasn't in the same country, and he'd never visited before. All right. Transplant, Transplant recipient chilled to the marrow. The previous story showed how half a dozen to dozen DNA markers used in database matches could send police knocking down the wrong door. But can a true match still point to the wrong suspects? Have you read the title of this article? Police investigate. No, I've skipped it completely. Police investigating one particular sexual assault must have thought the case was going well. They had a semen sample with a usable DNA and matched DNA of an Alaskan man already in the system. There was just one hitch. The man in question had been in jail when the crime was committed. Uh, was it a mix-up with the system? No, although there, that's what technicians thought at first. In truth, the solution was even stranger. One year earlier, the man jailed had received bone marrow from the actual assailant's brother. Today, bone marrow recipients sometimes retain some of their own marrow and end up with mixed Ooh. genetic profiles. Wow, they're a chimera. But in this case, the jailed man had lost all of his original marrow, and so he uh, registered as a full match for the criminal in question. By the way, mixed DNA can also show up in cheek swabs if you've been smooching. <laughs> According to a 2013 study, DNA can linger in your mouth for up to an hour, a fact that could potentially help catch sexual predators. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of kissing going on when you're being <laughs> raped. I'm sorry. It's not a love thing. Oh. Oh, maybe they're talking about other oh, DNA. Oh, gross. Ooh. This is just... <laughs> Three identical twins beat the rap. With an S and apostrophe. No list of mistaken identity would be complete without a few evil twins. Here are a few cases in which a criminal used his fellow monozygote mono to escape justice. Our first case takes takes us to Germany, famous Kaffhaus des Westens, the largest department store in the continental Europe. In January of 2009, one of the three thieves in a mask and gloves stole 6.8 million in jewelry from Kaffa de Kaffkadawi. Sure. K-A-D-E-W-E, left behind a latex glove. When, oh my God, why is it with all these... (laughs) When the police... (laughs) (laughs) When the police ran a DNA test on the the sweat found within, they identified two matches, 27-year-old identical twins, Hassan Abbas O. German law prevents their full names being used. Unfortunately for the officers, the chief did not leave behind a fingerprint. Oh, the thief did not leave behind a fingerprint. <laughs> wow. Identical twins have a dis- have distinctive fingerprints, but they share 99% of the same DNA. Unable to down which brother, if not both, committed the heist, they had to let them both go. Wow, that kind of sucks. Ugh. Uh, No kidding. The news provides plenty of other evil twin examples. In 2009, identical twins in Malaysia escaped a death sentence for narcotics trafficking when prosecutors failed to prove which one owned the sack. In 2011, an Arizona nightclub murder went unresolved because eyewitness disagreed about which twin actually did the killing. Although eyewitness accounts will likely uh, always pose a problem, the science of... Can you say that word? 
I was I yeah, actually was able to say that one epigenetics uh, reportedly holds some pride. God, I feel like we're in a, a, a class full of like kids. Can you say that word? No. <laughs> uh, ep- I, like <laughs> I like eggs. turtles. <laughs> I like the turtles. Epigenetics reportedly holds some promise of distinguishing the DNA of twins. Source Palmer. There you go. I know somebody out there listening is probably ripping their hair out right now. Yes. Tyler. Tyler's <laughs> killing us. Male? white male? It would be irresponsible, not to say libelous, to assign the psychological diagnosis to our next case, even if drawing parallels to the film Single White Female, which portrayed a woman with borderline personality disorder slowly assuming her roommate's identity is inevitable. One day in 2007, Brittany Austin Fort and her boss received a phone call asking for $1,050 to bail someone out of the Orange County Jail. The jailbird, someone named Brittany Austin Fort. Yes, it is in an extraordinary collision of identity theft and badge judgment, Brittany's 18-year-old male friend, Richard Lester Phillips, had propositioned an undercover cop for a $30 sex act and been booked under her name. Austin Fort knew that her five foot three inch, ninety five pound friend was a cross dresser, but the best, but the rest, no doubt, came as something of a shock. Phillips convinced the police well enough to be housed in a female with female inmates. So well done. The matter was soon cleared up, sort of, because police forbids jail officials from altering name information in the computer database after booking. This crime will remain listed oh. under Austin Fort's name. Oh, I know, right? Austin Fort must now carry paperwork with her verifying that she has never been accused of prostitution just in case police ever stop her and pull up her record. But hey, at least they took the information down from her website eventually. Oh, man, that sucks. That's, dude, I would sue them for everything they were worth. I guess I've got number one. The Taylor University car crash. On a late spring day in 2006, the deputy coroner and chaplain drove to Michigan home to deliver the opposite sort of news that these trips usually entailed. They were going to tell the mother and father of Whitney Sarek that their daughter was alive. It was bound to be a bit of a shock. They thought they had buried her two weeks earlier. On April 26, 2006, a semi-truck driver had fallen asleep at the wheel, causing his truck to cross the median and crash into a Taylor University van containing nine people, one of the worst crashes in local memory. It killed five, and killed five and her bodies and belongings more than 50 feet from the impact site. In the rush to save lives, the first responder had loaded Sarek into an evac chopper along with her ID of deceased Laura Van Ryan, who closely resembled Sarek in her hair color, bone structure, and build. In the weeks that followed, while Sarek was slowly recovering from a closed head injury, 1,400 people, including members of her family, friends, and classmates, mourned her loss and attended her funeral. Wow. While Van Ryan's loved ones waited for the person they thought was their daughter to recover. Eventually, as the patient's behavior inconsistencies mounted, they could no longer ignore the suspicious. Finally, when a therapist asked her to write her name, the truth was there in black and white. Whitney, that would suck. That would absolutely suck. I mean, wow, it, wow. It, it, it sucks. Like if you are the family that thinks that's our daughter laying there alive and then you're the other Ooh. family who's had to go through all this grief and of putting someone to rest and then finding out, no, they're alive. That's that's on itself. I mean, that's a happy story in the end, but not for the people that are at the hospital with this other girl the whole time. Yeah. And their kid was buried in the wrong yes, grave exactly. by the wrong family. So oh, now uh, brutal. 
since That's no, it's so not. <laughs> it's not at all. <laughs> um, since we were arguing about how Apple's facial ID worked, I actually looked a little bit of it up here. Uh, how does Face ID work? Face ID captures both. This is for the new Apple phone, so you can, you know, whatever. Face ID captures both 3D and 2D images of your face using infrared light while you're looking straight at the camera. Apple then compares that information to images you took while setting up the Face ID. That, excuse me, that comparison is done while using a neural network, which I'm sure is probably the same neural network that the Terminator used in the Terminator movies. Uh, that lives on the sure. phone's X's. That lives on the iPhone X's new A11 chip. So your iPhone has a neural, living neural network in the phone. Yeah, five so unsuccessful Android. attempt face ID will force you to enter a passcode, which you probably should be using anyways, which you'll need anyway just to set up the facial recognition. That requires you to come up with a secured string of digits. Here, let me give you my digits. Or for extra security, a string of letters and numbers to protect your privacy. Does it work? It didn't during Apple's September 12th event, at least initially, when Senior Vice President Craig and a million Apple fans just got angry at me, tried and failed to demonstrate the face ID for the crowd before switching phones. Apple explained that the handlers mistakenly set off face ID attempts prior to Fazgabarkaberg's presentation, which caused the phone to revert to a passcode lock before he could, uh, took the stage. While Face ID won't uh, face an acid test, which ordinary users until November, Apple says it should work just fine. Apple is going to store my face in the cloud. Relax. Apple says your face isn't leaving your device. The iPhone X will store representations of your face in its secure enclave, a hardware-based enclosure designed to be resistant to spying and tampering. The phone-based neural net process means the, <laughs> the image representations never have to go anywhere. I, man. Okay, so now that you read that, I'm going to read this. Unlocking your phone with your face has been part of Android since version 4 ice cream sandwich. Using the front-facing camera, your Android phone can grab an image of your face in Google's facial recognition software, then process it to build a set of databases on that image. When you hold your phone to your face to unlock it, an image is collected, processed, and compared to the stored data. That was in 2012. President Trump this morning. The face came to Android in 2012, and Samsung has since made it a much better on its newest phone. Uh, the data isn't sent anywhere and is collected and processed all in the phone itself. It is stored securely and encrypted, and no other process is able to read the raw data. Android face unlocking also doesn't need any special lights or sensors or camera. It uses its front-facing camera you use to take selfies with. That was that one. Samsung's iris scanning was adopted by the Galaxy Note 7. Samsung brought its first iris scanning to the Galaxy line with the Galaxy Note 7. Having a computer scan your eyeballs to authenticate you is something we've all seen in movies, and it is used for secure entry into real government facilities. Samsung is using the same concept with its iris scanning system. Just scale back so it can work faster and work with the limited resources of the smartphone. Every eye is different. Yeah, I was going to say, I think pattern. I would tr trust the eye scanning more than the facial scanning for whatever reason because there's there's no two eyes that are exactly alike. But this is this is the age of sci-fi. No. We've seen we've seen all this and all these spy movies and stuff. Now they actually do have eye scanning right on your phone. <laughs> 
This is the part I don't understand. Apple's making a big deal out of their phone for 2017, and Android's been doing it since 2012. That's... And they, Apple has to send it to the send it to the cloud in order for it to work. I know. Samsung but has it right in the phone. By, by having discussion, we're going to spark an Android versus Apple debate between people that are out there right now. So, Excellent. You know, me and you left and, uh, Apple quite a long time ago. So whenever something pops up, we're like, yeah, we've, we've had yeah, this for a while. Phones. Yeah, we've had that for a while, too. Yeah. Anyways, again, a million Apple users out there right now are unsubscribing <laughs> to our podcast at this very second. You know, I don't know what we, we don't have. have a million listeners. I do. I don't have any idea what our actual numbers actually are because I'm not. I don't either. Be, because mm. I, I find people all the time that are new listeners of the show and stuff. And I, our download numbers just don't quite match. And we still have a lot of people that listen to us on Stitcher, too. So you take the numbers that we got from this site, and we've gained and lost a lot of new people because it's been almost exactly a year since we bounced over to this server. And I was looking back. We've put a pretty decent amount of shows up since we've been over here. But anyways, so I mm-hmm. think that's going to do it for now. Um, next week's show is going to be a little weird. <laughs> well, you don't maybe, have, maybe unless I can get you a PDF, the copy of the book, which I'm going to try to do, the guest that's coming on and the subject we're talking about. Um, we've covered before, but it's going to be, yeah, we should be it's all fine. right. I'm so sure the I next couple of shows, if, if things go as planned, should be pretty cool. So we'll see. Um, and then mm. we're coming up on the Halloween show, so I have to scramble to get that together because Halloween is like, October is my favorite month. I've already got my house decorated. I, I had my house decorated mm. for Halloween outside uh, like last week. And then I had my I have to. my little Department 56 Halloween Village, which you know all about that. I've got that all set up, and I've had that going for a couple a of weeks bit. now. You know, I, I would gladly take house. all of your crap. <laughs> i got to send you another box. Yeah, I know. i got a box. i got a freaking – got a – what is it? Uh, I'm so by, tempted to just hop in my box. car and, like, just drive out there and drive back. <laughs> well, no, it's not, it's not true. It's not true because my car – um, when we went down, I went down to Columbus, like my, my car's, it's designed the, it's, it's a great car for driving around town, stop and go traffic. But when you're on the freeway, it only gets like 40, 41 miles a gallon. Still not bad, but I'm really spoiled by the in-town gas mileage that it gets. And, uh, I've really, really gravitated to this whole car, hybrid car thing a lot better than I thought I would. Um, it's like five bucks gets me forever unless I have to go on the freeway. Then it drives like a normal car for the most part. So, and it's weird because when we were down in Columbus, I kept every time I, I pre-warned Chuck. I'm like the brakes on this thing are really, really, really sensitive. And there was actually one point where I I slammed on the brakes real quick, <laughs> and then I real quick, and then I hurried up and gave it gas real quick, and I almost got us into an accident. So Chuck's like slammed forward, then slammed back in the seat and slammed forward again. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, we're going to die, I'm sorry. When we were on our way into the um, motorcycle area where you can test ride the motorcycles and stuff. So, which by the way, I I did do an appearance on Wheel Nerds last week. If anybody's even remotely curious about our motorcycle adventures down in in Columbus, Ohio, you can probably, I'm not sure when the episode's going to get posted, but I don't quite fit on that show. Um, I'll say that, I know. Well, I don't because they're they're very different motorcycle riders than I am. Like I'm like maybe it's time for me to get like this a Goldwing, which is a big Honda motorcycle, and like they're very different than I am. And what I look at and go, wow, that's a really cool motorcycle. Mm. I could see myself riding that. Are very different than the motorcycles that they look at. And a lot of the stuff that I look at and care about, they you know like 
Todd, I think, kind of wants to laugh at me sometimes or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> but anyways, uh, you're going to get a scooter? A scooter. For real? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, I could God. park it in my garage and drive to work. <laughs> I did ride an automatic motorcycle when I was down there. It was not as... You know what, for that? you... We're going to go off slightly from what we normally talk about. There's this motorcycle called the CTX 800, and I even said it on when I was on Wheel Nerds. I think it is the perfect motorcycle for you. Um, it has well, it's it's for one. Why? No, no, Somehow it's I don't know how to shift. It's not that it matter. It's not that you don't know how to shift. <laughs> it's that it's the it's a right. It's a good size for you. It's a good size motor for you. When I rode it, it was like it, it definitely wasn't cool for my size. But you can do automatic if you want to, or you can click a switch where you can shift up and down from the handle, and it was actually pretty cool. You know, it would it'd be a, a perfect bike for a person of your size and for the way you'd be riding it, getting back and forth to work and stuff. I was like, this would be a great bike for you. It really would. If it were a little bit bigger, I would be fine on me, but it would be the perfect motorcycle for you. It wasn't what I thought it was. I thought it was going to be like riding a moped or something like that, and it wasn't quite like that. It was actually kind of fun. Uh, 760, but they classify it as an 800. So, anyways, I'll talk about all that stuff later. But, um... (laughs) Maybe. I I do need to close the show out on a sad note, though. Um... We lost a member yeah. of the Archivist family this week. We had talked before about Roy and Tabitha. And um, Tabitha, mm-hmm. she did pass this week. She passed a couple of days ago. And I believe it was from cancer. And it was very, very heartbreaking. She was um, a really cool, very funny, very nice woman. Always upbeat. Right up to always the end. Upbeat. Um, Roy posted always on, upbeat. on Facebook as all this was happening. And uh, apparently she was... She was upbeat right till the end. Um, from what I understand, she passed um, very easily, not in any kind of pain or anything like that. And it was really, really sad. And I've, you know, I'm. Uh, she's moved on, so I'm not so much worried about her now. But Roy is another situation entirely. Because um, I, don't, I myself, I don't know how I would deal with that. Like if, if, if somebody, you know, if they said, "Well, your wife has cancer and she's got a year left with us." I would be a complete basket case. And those two were just a pillar of strengths all the way through it, all the way up till the end. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm going to close out the show this week and I'm going to send the song that we're playing out to Tabitha and I'm going to close the show out with uh, Incubus, Wish You Were Here. So mm-hmm. that's pretty much for me. This is Rojan, peace out from Detroit. This is Lobo from Connecticut. We love you, Roy. Rest in peace, Tab. Peace.
my god. It's not showing she... anything. Oh. Uh. Oh. That looks like that sounds like oh. it hurts. <laughs> oh. Oh. Oh, what in the world? Oh my I, I gotta send this to you. This is so weird. Oh my god, I didn't understand until I Oh my god, this is so weird. Oh no, 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 dude. Why did you send this to me? No, dude, no, no, dude. Dude, I'm gonna fucking stab you the next time. That's just terrible. Why would you do that? I, I didn't realize what it was till halfway through the article, Why? and I'm like, oh, that's what this is. Dude, that can't be good. No, no, dude, no. Uh, dude, she has to, she, if she can keep her cutoffs. That's so horrible. she can turn them into a keepsake. <laughs> I also have my old breast implants. <laughs> oh my god. Fortunately, the surgical fluid they were stored in turned them gray. In any case, the particular phenomenon does not represent the actual person. Phenomenon. The apparition. <laughs> the operation? Apparition is another origin entirely it merely looks like the person it is copying and is not actually the person in a different space or time mm. although one would assume that mary the horror writer would have been the, the one to see ah. easy for you to say although one <laughs> would assume that mary <laughs> okay definitely gonna be outtakes mm. All, oh, ah. wow <laughs> holy shit Okay, it's moving right along. Please fasten your seatbelts as we attempt to read <laughs> one word. Yellow balls? Oh, stop. We're never going to get through this. She sent me a picture of two birds that were tits and goes, look at my tits. That's <laughs> awesome. Okay. <laughs> so I wanted a long-term option to preservation for which I discovered <laughs> crystal resin jewel. No, dude. Applied dude, two coats no. of metallic. No, dude, pink she's got him hooked up to freaking clothespins. No, <laughs> no, dude, that's no. no. This makes up for what you said earlier. What cat door? That's real. <laughs> this is terror, dude. This has got to be fake news. No, dude, that's so, dude, no. <laughs> No. I kept it as a trophy to overcome the pain it had cost my entire life. <laughs> my God, do you ever stop talking? 